Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Really with Tom and Dave, everybody. Woo-hoo. Assuming you're watching. If they're not watching, then that, then ignore that welcome. They could know. be listening. They could be well, listening. Okay, if you're listening, that's fine, too. Uh, that's but true. if you're neither watching or listening, then that welcome is not for you. Yeah, stay, stay away. Yeah. Uh, actually, no. Come join us. Be at. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, we, we got to remember to do our... Um, before oh, we like say hello and help stuff, people right? subscribe, like, like, do, like uh, and subscribe, like and subscribe us to at really with Tom and Dave on our YouTube channel. Uh, we want to see you. We want to hear from you. We want to hear all your thoughts about the show. Um, anything, anything yeah. in your lovely brains that you would like to share UAP related cooking, you know, uh, possible recipes, uh, mm-hmm. experiences you may have had jokes anything you want to comment on but yes so we're also available on all the other wonderful podcast things uh and things and formats and and on and we're on the uh the the instagram Mm -hmm. right we're on the tiktok i believe Um, i believe i believe we're having s's and taking s's away yeah instagrams i don't know but yeah we are and and more importantly how are you i'm well Ah, yes. I'm, I'm, yes. Uh, last time we recorded, I was sick. Yes. So you soldiered through it. Yeah. You're yeah. better. Tummy's good. Oh, yeah. I feel fine. Oh, it's better all the, oh, it's better by the next day. Oh, perfect. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Are you just keeping it easy? Nothing too, uh, no, no oh, exotic I, I, foods? Oh, just oh, I boldly, I bought a street burrito today on the way home from the grocery store. See, that's, was, why would you time that? Why would you do that? I just, you know, I just feel good about it. And no. Uh, I'm not I'm very, <laughs> I'm very, susp- I don't do this. I'm not a street food person. My friend Paul will get like the bacon wrapped hot dog oh, thing oh, and yeah, those put so that good. thing away real quick. And I, I don't think I can do that in my advancing years. I mean, hats yeah. off to you. How was the burrito? It's good. It was delicious. It was delicious. Okay. I, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, the guys in my neighborhood all the time. I thought, oh, why'd you try this? And I was like, you know, on my way home. Um, 
And so far, so far, so good. Well, yeah. I mean, look, I love being the canary in the coal mine for your intestinal mm -hmm. issues. Yes, that, we'll see. Uh, if we, I'm sure we'll get through this. Time sure, this out we'll perfectly uh, for our and uh, so our, yeah for our, our our guests from the other side from the the parallel universe called we, uh, we cover Australia. It all. Yeah, we Just cover it all here today. on really, and uh, we have a, a wonderful guest today, Mr. Grant Levac is an mm -hmm. Australian UAP activist, researcher, and podcaster residing in Melbourne, Australia. Grant has held a fascination for UAPs, UFOs, since he was a young child, considers himself to be just an ordinary guy who believes in extraordinary things with a healthy degree of skepticism. And we approve of that here on Really and a, a, an open mind thrown in there together for good measure. Grant frequently leverages the Freedom of Information Act to better understand Australia's involvement or rather lack thereof on the UAP issue and engages both his elected representatives and the legacy media in the hopes they'll take the topic seriously and treat it with respect it deserves. Um, all for that, Grant reports on his FOIA findings and engagement efforts via his podcast, The Unexplained Rundown, which is freely available on Spotify and YouTube. And uh, we don't know what time of day we've gotten grant up to join us but if he will he looks uh, look at he looks great it looks like it's fresh. the middle of the night here but it's it's morning i, fresh I as work a in a, a dark, morning. yeah you yeah dungeon. you've got a very a very a blue uh midnight I, i've uh, got the vibe going the mood lighting so i wasn't too sure uh, yeah. Uh, if it would gel with the discussion today, but I'm sticking with it so but no it's great oh, to be with get... you guys thanks thanks so much for uh, for having me on thanks for well, coming on i'm yeah, excited I've, to have I've you been, yeah, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed your uh, your live streams. Oh, very uh, cool. Okay, you've yeah. seen a few. Well, yeah. I, I got to say, Dave, it's a, it's a, a bit of a, a thrill for me personally to be on with you guys because I I finished high school back in 1996 and I was about 16. I was go a big, ahead, I was, post. I, yeah, to show my age a bit there, but I was a big fan of news radio back in the day. And um, oh, cool. and if you um, had told me, you know, when I was 16, that you know, some 27 years later, I'd be speaking with. Uh, with with Dave Foley about UFOs, uh, I'd say, what are you smoking? So it's a, it's it's a thrill <laughs> yeah. to be with you. <laughs> I'm you, with you on that, Grant. Or, or just, I, I'm still asking the same broken? thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, no, and, well, and look, the, you know, you're you're slowly starting to get more and more of your co-stars engage on the topic. So it's you and Joe at the moment, but maybe yeah. more and more over time. Trying to infect everyone. Well, I mean, I you know, I infected uh, Tom there with with the uh, the bug. Oh man! <laughs> right down the rabbit hole. Um, so Grant, you, I, uh, I, you know, I was friends with Dave. I found out he was involved with UAP and starting to talk to all these interesting folks, and that kind of lured me in. And it's such an interesting time to be engaged with this issue. Um, I can't imagine another time. I mean, there have certainly been some spikes throughout history, but this is a really interesting moment. How about you? Like you're, it says you were an enthusiast. What kind of what kick-started this level of engagement for you? Um, what was that process like? Yeah. Oh, and I agree with you. I'd say what a, what an exciting time to be alive, right, with everything that's mm -hmm. happened in the last number of years. But, um, no, I, I've, you know, been fascinated by this topic ever since I was a, a young fella. You know, when I was six or seven years of age, my, my father took me to um, – a photo exhibition uh, in a UFO photo exhibition in the U uh, in uh, Australia uh, at the it was called the um, uh, Centerpoint Tower in Sydney, and I remember they had these um, big blow ups around the exhibition of black and white photographs of UFOs from decades past, and one of them was the McMinnville photo uh, from the nineteen fifties, and 
I remember just staring at that photo for what could have been 10, 15 minutes, just losing myself in, you know, what that, that farmer or rancher would have been looking at on that day, trying to immerse myself in the, in the, in the, in the, in the photo. And, and then over the years, you know, growing up as a teenager in Australia, you would have, you know, the X-Files play every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Then you do a big debrief with your schoolmates the next day. And so I've always kind of had a curiosity and fascination for the topic, but it really wasn't until, I guess, the the bombshell December 2017 articles that came out in the New York Times that kind of really uh, reinvigorated my interest. And then, you know, during COVID, we all had a lot more time on our hands. So I, I kind of became a sponge and tried to soak up as much as I could on the topic, learning as much as I could from as many as I could. Uh, and there was an event, uh, a, a three-day um, live, live stream activism event called The Big Phone Home 2, in which Dave Jeremy Corbell, your good good friend, was uh, in the first Big Phone Home. And it was really... I think I, I, think uh, I was too. I can't remember. Yeah, right. I okay. I so yeah. I, was, I, was, um, I was really, really inspired uh, by just hearing from a lot of subject matter experts and people that are really, really um, advocating for greater transparency in the, on the topic. And it, it got me thinking, well, you know, the U.S. is so engaged uh, in, on the topic and there's greater conversations being had uh, among congresswomen and, and congressmen. I thought it got me thinking, well, what, what is Australia doing about, you know, the UAP issue? And unfortunately, uh, it turns out Australia is doing very, very little, even though that we, we have almost as long as a history investigating the UAP UFO topic as the United States, you know, dating back to the 1950s for Australia mm -hmm. through to essentially 1996 when the, the Royal Australian Air Force just basically wiped its hands and said, move along, folks, there's nothing to see here. So uh, Australia has really not been engaged on this topic for, for close to three decades. And with everything that's happened in the last couple of years, it's got me thinking, well, if you know, the United States Congress and Pentagon is stating time and time again that UAP represent a potential national security threat and safety of flight risk. Well, Australia being a Five Eyes and AUKUS partner, wouldn't you think they would be thinking, oh, maybe we should check in and check up on uh, this UAP issue and, and get a sense as to what's going on and if we should be concerned about it down under. But to date, uh, Australia, you know, the US and Australia are the closest of allies, yet their positions on UAP could not be further apart. So that's kind of been my driving uh, motivation for the last couple of years now is to engage uh, my elected representatives down under uh, and use the Freedom of Information Act process to, to uh, learn what Australia knows or doesn't know and uh, why it is continuing to be so disengaged on this topic when our US ally is taking it so seriously. So, so that's where it kind of I am on the topic. And, and in the last really year and, and a bit, uh, because of the documents that I've been able to secure for release through the Freedom of Information Act, I've had some really um, great people connect with me. So uh, some really wonderful Australian researchers, Keith Basterfield, who's been very, very active as a researcher uh, on the topic in Australia. Also, Bill Chalker, uh, more recently, Ross Coulthard, and a few other researchers as well. So I, I, I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders, uh, shoulders of giants of those guys and, and have had the opportunity to learn from, the direct, from them directly uh, and just try and pursue answers to questions that, that I'm curious on, like, you know, what is Australia doing about the topic and why isn't it taking it seriously? So... That's kind of a bit of a summary for you as to uh, mm -hmm. to where I've come from, where I'm at. 
I was going to say my, well, my country of birth, Canada is, I think, uh, at least equal to Australia in doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, on the US, I, I mean, I think, I think, well, I think they have your episode when you had, uh, uh Bill and Ross Coulthard on yep. recently, you, uh, Ross brought up, uh, Larry McGuire's, uh, memo to the, the, uh, minister, minister of defense in Canada and in Canada, yep. not only our ministry of defense, um, uh, just doesn't look at UFOs. They refer it all to transport Canada who also don't look at UFOs. So yeah. there's basically no so one go to Canada. the post office. Yeah, right. guys, so yeah. keep keep going and you'll you'll reach the I'm curious is it nothing they're doing or is it I mean is it really nothing that they're doing or is it the kind of old style US like we're we're doing nothing we're nothing about it publicly and privately we're doing a bunch of shit about it. It's it's a good point you raise. So publicly uh they're doing absolutely stuff all. They're doing nothing on the topic. They've tried to distance themselves from the topic altogether. They really haven't even acknowledged that UAP uh, is a potential national security threat and safety of flight risk. They very much, the Australian Department of Defence and Royal Australian Air Force uh, believes it to be, uh, well, actually, I'll tell you, so the, the this document that I secured for release through FOIA last year, it's actually the most significant document to come out of the Australian Department of Defence in more than 25 years. It was a, a Chief of Air Force brief on UAP. And the context behind that is that on the 27th of October of 2021, for the benefit of your, of your listeners, um, an Australian senator by the name of Peter Wish Wilson, uh, he's the only Australian senator to date that has had the courage and gumption to ask questions about UAP in Australian parliament, in government. The only one, which is very frustrating, but it's encouraging that at least there's one that's taking it seriously. And so following the release of ODNI's preliminary assessment on UAP on the 25th of June, 2021, Senator Wish Wilson asked the then Chief of Air Force uh, in Australia about, well, what is the Royal Australian Air Force doing about UAP? Because uh, our US ally and friends across the pond are taking it very seriously. And the Chief of Air Force's response was, uh, no, we, we don't currently have any any reporting or recording protocols for UAP. It's very much a United States issue, uh, which the US has said time and time again, it's a global issue. And we know that it affects many, many countries around the world. And so Senator Wish Wilson has continued to press the now current Chief of Air Force on two further occasions in November of last year and February of this year, uh, around the time of the uh, the Chinese uh, spy balloon shoot down and three identified unidentified aerial objects. But you know, now for the last two years, uh, the Royal Australian Air Force continues to you know, toe the line and have keep its head buried in the sand uh, and completely uh, not acknowledge this topic whatsoever, which is incredibly frustrating considering that Australia has always been lockstep with the United States on almost every defence initiative uh that uh, that you know the, the us has led the charge on and what's even more concerning is australia is about to spend half a trillion dollars on three virginia class nuclear attack submarines part of this AUKUS agreement uh and um you know to, to your point dave you know, larry mcguire his letter he raised concerns over a potential five eyes foreign material program that potentially the us and canada has had these clandestine uh, crash retrieval reverse engineering programs. So if it is true that the US and its closest ally across the uh, the border, Canada, 
has been reverse engineering some advanced form of propulsion and hasn't told its fellow Five Eyes partners about it, New Zealand, the UK and Australia. And we're about to spend half a trillion bucks on technology that's going to be redundant or superseded by some form of advanced propulsion. I suspect Five Eyes partners are going to be pretty uh, pretty miffed. So um, that's the mm. that's the allegation, obviously, that Larry Maguire was coming out with with his uh, with his letter. But you've also got in Canada, um, I believe, there's a, a project called Sky Project Canada that is, there is uh, by the uh, Science Council. I yeah, think it is, yeah. Science so Council. it's encouraging sure. that you've at least got some scientific inquiry into UAP in your country, but. Nothing happening down under, I'm afraid, which is yeah. very frustrating. What do you attribute that to, Grant? I mean, is it just a is it just a an a government attitude? I mean, is there something uniquely Australian about that? I mean, or is that just what do you there? I mean, is it that there isn't some? Well, I have, I'll have two questions. One is like, what do you attribute that to? And then, is there an Australian Roswell, or what would that be, or what would be the closest thing to it? Good question. Yeah, so I think it's a couple of things. So this this Chief of Air Force um, brief that I uncovered on, on UAP last year, um, what's very interesting about that document is in the table of contents, one of the items is strategic narrative. And so the Royal Australian Air Force is wanting to tell a story that uh, UAP, it came to the t- determination that UAP are likely to be one of three things. Um, uh, natural or other benign phenomena was one thing. It could be two human uh, sensor errors, uh, or three, it's more than likely to be human-made technologies, either of an other nation system or potentially foreign adversarial. So it was somehow miraculously able to come to that determination of what UAP are likely to be or not likely to be without having, one, investigated the topic since 1996, two, in that document, stating that they had not been engaged by the US on UAP at that point in time, and three, that they had absolutely no desire to collaborate with allies on the issue of UAP. So without having seen any of the classified data housed within the classified reports that have been provided to Congress, uh, Australia is completely washing its hands and not even uh, being open to the fact that there could be some catch-all other bin that ODNI indicated their preliminary assessment on UAP. Mm-hmm. And I suspect the reason why the Royal Australian Air Force is so reluctant to get back into the game is because in 1993, there was a, um, a briefing paper that was submitted to the then Chief of Air Staff or the equivalent of the Chief of Air Force today with a policy recommendation that the Royal Australian Air Force cease its investigation into UAP because it could not find any scientific or other compelling reason to continue to devote resources to the uh, investigation of UAP. Now, that was back in 1993, and that policy Mm. was implemented in 1996, where the the RAF, Royal Australian Air Force, just said, nope, there's nothing to see here, folks, move along. Fast forward to 2023, and we live in a very, very, very different time. So either one of two things is happening. The Royal Australian Air Force is reluctant to enter the ring again and get back into the UAP game because there is a fear of potential, uh, the perception of uh, a lack of public trust. If if they've said that UAP is completely prosaic back in 1996, and now they're saying, well, hang on, we need to reinvestigate this because there's something to it, our US allies taking it seriously, uh, then how could they get it so wrong back then 
that they're having to reinvestigate it again. That's one possible scenario. The other possible scenario is that Australia is waiting for the US uh, to say, all right, you can now, it's okay for you to now uh, enter the conversation, you know, essentially the US says jump and Australia says how high. So that could be another avenue as well. But I don't think that's necessarily the case because on the 31st of May this year, uh, current RO, All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office Director, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, who sounds like he might be on the out. Uh, I know, I want to talk about that in a second. Yeah, Yeah. so on the 31st of May at NASA's public meeting uh, on UAP with the independent study team, he revealed to the world that he had just held his inaugural Five Eyes Forum on UAP. So he had convened with Five Eyes partners, the US, Canada, Australia, UK, and New Zealand. Uh, Fast forward to the 19th of July of this year, where Senator Wish Wilson had submitted some questions to the Australian Department of Defence about, well, did Australia attend the Five Eyes Forum on UAP? And the Australian Department of Defence came back and said, and I quote verbatim, Australia did not attend a United States briefing on UAP. So they've had a formal invitation to enter the conversation on UAP and they've rejected it. Now, that could just be the Department of Defence and maybe there is a a facet of the intelligence community in Australia that attended, but we don't know about because a lot of the intelligence communities, intelligence communities are exempt from FOIA, so I can't get any of that information. But it seems extremely odd that the uh, you know RO's director, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, used the word Five Eyes Forum and stated all Five Eyes member countries. So either he has, if Australia did not attend that Five Eyes Forum on UAP, well, then he's mischaracterized that briefing or that engagement with select allies. Because we know that Canada was represented at that Five Eyes Mm -hmm. Forum on UAP. Some of the great reporting that Daniel Otis has done out of, of your home country, Dave, he was able to confirm that the, uh, the Canada armed, uh, Canadian Armed Forces were represented at that Five Eyes Forum. And the reporting out of Defence Scoop, uh, Brandy Vincent, was able to confirm that the New Zealand Defence Force was also represented at that Five Eyes Forum. So why the hell was Australia not represented? Uh, Why did they not accept an invitation? I have one question. Is your military run by Neil deGrasse Tyson by any chance? (laughs) It could possibly well be, or even Mick West. I don't know, but you know, it's, it's, it's one or the other, but so it's, that's where it's very confusing. And, and unfortunately, you know, you, Susan Goff is not very uh, forthcoming when I pose those questions to her, you know, were all Five Eyes member countries represented at Five Eyes Forum on UAP? I'm still awaiting a response from her. And the Australian Department of Defence, unfortunately, uh, when asked questions by Senator Wish Wilson, uh, they will just give a very, very short response. They won't volunteer more information than they need to. They'll just do the absolute minimum to address the additional inquiry. So, so there's two possible scenarios to your question, Tom, that I think might be um, might play out. Time hopefully will mm-hmm. tell. Yeah, and I was going to say because you were talking about, or I don't know if there's an a, even more parallel to Roswell, but I mean Australia has one of the most famous and striking mass sightings of all time with the Westall it, School. Absolutely, yeah, and I, and I remember you 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 were talking briefly about that on your episode with uh, with Jeremy Corbell. So uh, for for your listeners that don't know, yeah, take us through that, please. Yeah, yeah. So uh, on the sixth of April, nineteen ninety six, in a uh, a school called Westall High School in 
um, about 45 minutes south of where I live, actually, I'm in, I'm in Melbourne, uh, uh, several hundred school children at their recess time, which is about 10.15 in the morning, uh, a, a, a schoolgirl ran into a science classroom and yelled at the top of her lungs, there's a flying saucer, there's a flying saucer. And so when the, the school recess bell rang, these all of these school kids flooded the, uh, the school sports oval and uh, reported observing uh, between one and three, there's a discrepancy on how many, but one and three objects hovering in the skies above their school that resembled the shape of a flying saucer and that they were witnessed in the skies above their school for for a number of uh, a number of minutes before uh you know one of them or again up to potentially up to three of them uh moved off to a uh, a heavily wooded area about a, a mile south of the school in an area called the grange and several of you know uh, several of these students reported seeing the the flying saucer descend land or hover uh you know above the ground in this in this grange area and so i had the um, the good fortune earlier this year um of attending a westall witnesses reunion event so they a mm. number of the westall witnesses primary witnesses uh meet once a year just to kind of you know keep their their memories, I guess, uh, fresh in their mind of what happened on that day. Uh, and so Shane Ryan, who is one of the, I guess he's, you know, I would say the authority on the Westall incident in Australia. He's one of the, the lead researchers that's done a lot of great uh, you know, research on the, on the topic. And he released a documentary a uh, number of years ago now called Westall 66, A Suburban UFO Mystery. And so um, Shane told me about this reunion event. And so I thought I'd I didn't know a whole lot about the Westall reunion, uh, Westall event, so I went to this reunion event and I took my uh, my iPhone with me and and I had a ton of questions based on the very preliminary research that I'd done at that point in time, and uh, you know there were five primary witnesses there at that reunion event and they were all very generous and gracious and giving of their time and they they were willing to go on camera, so I just recorded them in long form format uh, for a bit over an hour, just asking them questions about their experience and uh, their their recollections were incredibly compelling you know I, I know I remember one of them looking me dead in the eye on, every, throughout the whole conversation that we had and just recounting and re you know, recollecting his experience so very very fascinating case and what's what's so frustrating about it is that 57 years later no official government record or explanation has ever seen the light of day as to what the Westall incident was or wasn't. So, and I know a lot of people have tried to track down documentation through the Freedom of Information Act, not just Shane Ryan, but also Bill Chalker mm -hmm. and Keith Basterville, and including myself. Uh, and it's one of those enduring unsolved mysteries. It's really a true cold case uh, that, that, defies explanation to this very day so what year i'm sorry what year was it 66 6th of april 1966 oh, oh okay all right i heard nine. okay okay that's yeah, yeah that is and, and i was gonna say and unlike the um the uh aerial school in zimbabwe that sighting uh at westall it was uh the the teaching staff also were witnesses so you had the kids and and staff, who I think believes a lot of that teaching staff are still alive yeah still, that's still right so uh, their story 
So a young teacher by the name of uh, Andrew Greenwood, who, who only came out in the last couple of years and, and uh, Ross Coulthard actually brought him forward. Uh, he was uh, 20 years of age on the day of the Westall sighting. Uh, and he was one of the teachers that reported seeing uh, something in the, in the sky. He doesn't know what it was. It, you know, it, it looked different to certain people depending on where they were positioned at what time the incident happened on the day. Uh, and there was also reports of another teacher uh, that uh, allegedly took some photographs uh, uh, with her, uh, with a, uh, she was part of, I believe, the physics department, had a camera, took some photographs. And then, as you would expect with you know, any quintessential uh, UFO case, you know, the military is reported to be on scene uh, within only you know within less than an hour after the the the, the sighting and the camera is confiscated uh the children are told to shut up and not talk about it uh the 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 news media channel nine was on the scene later in the afternoon and they were stopped mid-interview uh talking to some of the children told to uh to go away so there was a report on the television that night uh of the of the incident but Again, uh, quintessential yeah. UFO case. The the uh, the footage of that news report has since vanished or disappeared or been destroyed. But what I found to be fascinating is that the witnesses that I spoke with on the day, what really frustrates them to this very day is the fact that they were told to stay silent. They were mm. told told to say yeah. shut up. You didn't see anything, uh, and that's what really I think continues and to irk them to this one of the teachers day. actually was has was threatened with having his career scuttled they were going to they were going to claim that he was drunk at yep, school that, and that was mr mr andrew greenwood so he had yeah. what he believed uh to be members of the military uh come to his home uh unannounced unexpected and uninvited and essentially say tell him you didn't see anything uh because if you do uh you'll be made to look like a drunk and you could potentially uh, lose your job if that allegation comes to light. So he was, uh, yeah, he was he was a veiled threat for him to stay silent, and he did stay silent for many many decades until uh, only in the last two years coming out and and uh, admitting what what he saw. Uh, and and Ross Coulthard was the one that that broke that information too. Yeah. So. And they, when they were visited by Australian military. But we're, I've heard that they were they were also sort of uh, accompanied by unidentified Americans. Yeah. So one of the one of the students. So there were a number of students that uh, ran to the Grange area. You're know, following observation of one of these objects descending to the Grange area, and one of the students, from my understanding, one of the students that was the first to reach that uh, that area, and there was a visible um, circular. Uh, matted grass uh, in the grain. So something, as far as they could tell at the time of their sighting, something had landed uh, in the Grange area. And one of the girls that was the first to arrive at the Grange area and, and see those landing markings, uh, she was pulled into a, a room later in that day and she was questioned by... She didn't know if they're government or military, but I remember uh, she commented that they had a distinct U.S. accent. So there was quite possibly some form of U.S. presence, uh, government or military 
on, on the day. So the, the, the men in black, as Joy Clark uh, likes to refer to them. So, but it's just an intriguing case and, and just one that is so frustrating because, you know, it, it is long rumored that the Department of Supply, which is now defunct, but the Department of Supply uh, investigated the Westall incident rel- you know, very comprehensively and actually uh, authored a, a comprehensive report uh, and Ross Coulthard has talked about that, and he's actually had sources tell him that that report is legitimate. But of course, that report has never seen the light of day. So it's either been withheld from public release or it's been destroyed. Um, it's it's just one of those enduring mysteries, sadly. Is there any level of public pressure in Australia, or is it still sort of burbling under the surface? I mean, I I tend to. I mean, I think it's growing here. Obviously, I mean, there's a there's a much more widespread interest now than I think than has been in a while. I, I'm still dubious of how much political pressure that can apply. Um, I, you know, but I'm just curious, is it, it, you know, do people just take, or do they just assume walled off from the government? They believe their own thing. I don't know. How would you? Well, I, there's certainly, it? there's certainly a small pocket of folks, including myself that, that continue to press the government uh, to, to, investigate the Westall incident. And and funnily enough, only last month, there was a um, a primary school production, a musical that was put on on the, the Westall incident called uh, Westall the Musical. And um, a member of parliament, so uh, a member of the Victorian parliament attended that, that uh, primary school production. And he got up in parliament uh, during question time only last week and formally acknowledged the Westall incident. So there was it was interesting to see that's the first time it's ever happened that the Westall incident was formally uh, raised in Victorian Parliament. But I've been in, in a fortunate position that um, I've not only engaged um, Senator Wish Wilson, but other uh, you know senators and members of Parliament as well. But I've been able to develop uh, a, a good relationship with Senator Wish Wilson and his office, uh, and you know, one of the things that I've been really grateful for is the opportunity to help inform Senator Wish Wilson's line of questioning. So obviously the Senator, he has a lot of issues that his constituents take seriously. So he, like many US congressmen and women, they probably don't have the time and energy to invest uh, the same amount of research that we do on this topic because we're heavily invested in it. We, we take a a keen interest in it. So, based on the research that I was uh, that I've done to date, um, I submitted about close to thirty questions to Senator Wish Wilson's uh, office. This is in October, uh, November of of last year, and Senator Wish Wilson used his allocated time in November of last year and again in February of this year to press the current Chief of Air Force on UAP. And all of the questions that the senator asked were questions that I had proposed to him. Uh, he didn't ask all of the questions, obviously, because he only had about eight minutes. But one of the questions that I had proposed that he asked was on the Westall incident, uh, because the Westall incident essentially, uh, you know, presented uh, a clear and present safety of flight risk because only uh, several miles or kilometers away from the school was an airport, uh, and so whatever it was that was observed in the skies above Westall on that day, the 6th of April, 1996, 
could have presented a clear safety of flight risk to inbound and outbound aircraft at Moorabbin Airport. So that's the approach that I took with my framing of a question around Westall that hasn't been asked to date, but um, could potentially be asked in the in the not distant future. So, but short answer, no. Westall has never been raised, uh, other than you know, kind of um, conversationally in Victorian Parliament last week. Yeah, it's. I, I think that's a great then public service you're doing. I mean, it's it's it, it, you know, you'll be the 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 George Knapp of Australia, and you and your fellow countryman <laughs> Ross Coltart, you know, are are you know can help kind of break the stories. And he's he was busy this week. I mean, one of the things that I, I was kind of thinking like for a couple of weeks, um, you know, it's I don't know. It feels like the forces of darkness are beginning to work their magic here. You know, things were getting settling down congress was quieting down hearings seemed yeah. to be quieting down the the you know these these skiff meetings we were waiting to hear where everybody was going to get the scoop from david grush weren't yielding anything and it, um and then this week i don't know last like 48 hours things started kind of popping up yeah. a lot having to do with <laughs> ross coltart's broadcast but one of the things is the the um uh, i just want to get your take on and dave's take too on just the it uh, you know that it looks like the uh the great Sean Kirkpatrick era might be coming to an end mm-hmm. um, either, either as planned or somehow forced out by uh, there was a daily mail article uh, either today or yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it quoting stuff from our friend, Matt Ford, his podcast and stuff that he was, uh, had been talking about in terms of um, whistleblowers yeah, not committee. wanting to a secret committee <laughs> yeah. and and i think uh also whistleblowers not wanting to talk to this guy who uh, to my it looked to me like he anytime he was on camera he looked like he was in a hostage video he did not look like a guy who was enjoying his job yeah um, he didn't want to be there yeah that, no that's, he uh, seemed to hate this assignment and uh, it showed the story and, his face told yeah 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 it felt it felt like such a i mean such a kind of uh sad rep you know uh uh, blue book bad version you know i mean just the the same the sort of an old playbook yeah like I, what was the purpose of this whole operation what was his purpose i don't know but if he's if he's leaving that's i don't know it's pretty interesting it, it is and and i think uh and and interesting you raised the daily mail um, article because if you folks that that read that will know that apparently it's rumored that there have been Four candidates already shortlisted to to replace um, you know Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick. So, uh, but uh, the, my whole feeling on Aro is, sadly, I feel that it was set up to fail from day one, because Ronald Moultrie, who uh, is no longer Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick's boss, it's now Kathleen Hicks, the Deputy Secretary of Defence. But Ronald Moultrie, who testified uh, before. Congress in May of last year, you'll remember with Scott Bray. Mm-hmm. Um, in April of this year, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, when he testified in front of Kirsten Gillibrand and the committee that she chairs, he basically said that you know he's he's got a strategic plan that's ready to go. He's got plans for this public website that are ready to go, but it hasn't been signed off. So Ronald Moultrie is the one that is has. Uh, you know, the ability to sign off on on all of those uh, plans that Sean Kirkpatrick had. So why did it take Aro as long as it did just to get up a simple website that you could have, you know, done in GoDaddy in probably half a day 
if you look at Aro's social media presence, they've got one tweet, and that's from July of last year. So they've had no social media engagement. And I think part of the issue is that Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, uh, I, I, I'm still kind of a bit neutral on on him. I think he's he's probably for a long time tried to do the best he could with what he had, but I think his hands have been tied for a long time with mm-hmm. the fact that Ronald Moultrie hasn't signed off on a lot of the initiatives that he wanted to roll out relatively quickly. So and who, but who, again, is, how, who is Ronald Moultrie? Just remind us in terms of. Uh, I, I can't remember for the life of me remember his official title, o, but he, O-U-D-N-I or something. Yeah, oh, USD. Um, yeah, so he's with the Undersecretary. Undersecretary, uh, okay. Director of National Defense. Intelligence. Yeah, so he yeah. and and he's he's got a very interesting history himself as well. So uh, the fact that he's the one that signs off on a lot of the yeah the, the initiatives that. Sean Kirkpatrick wanted to get up and running for Aro, and there was such a, a gross delay on just getting basic things up and running, like a website. Uh, I mean, you know, how were w- w- witnesses supposed to get in touch with Aro? They had no contact mm-hmm. number, they had no email address publicly listed. Now they've got a website. Now they've got a reporting mechanism, not on sightings, but what uh, U.S. government contractors or uh, former service members feel that they may know about. UAP related activities. So there's been, you know, these very, very slow moving snail like, uh, you know, progress from, from ARA. But if you, if you listen to folks like Bob Salas, who was, uh, you know, um, associated with the, the 67 Maelstrom incident. And I know Matt Ford had another, uh, individual on, on his show for an interview recently, uh, someone from the air oh, force. From Minot, yeah. That's right. They both, yeah. uh, indicated that they were not uh, they had a vote of no confidence, basically, in, in Ara and Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, that their testimony and their recollection was not being taken seriously by the ARIO investigators when you know, their, their testimony was not even recorded. It was all just written down manually. Uh, the memorandum for record that was provided to Bob Salas and the, the other gentleman of the, the, the Mino incident, uh, they were not really happy with what was documented in that memorandum for record and how their testimony was, was characterized. And I believe the individual that Matt Ford interviewed didn't actually sign off on his memorandum for record. Uh, he was not happy with how his testimony was characterized uh, by RO whatsoever. So you certainly have, and we've heard this time and time again from, from Jeremy, as well as Ross Coulter, that uh, folks have been apprehensive to come forward to RO and give their testimony because they'll, they, they feel that they're their testimony is not going to be taken seriously. It's not going to be comprehensively investigated. Uh, and it's just going to be ARA doing the absolute bare minimum per its legislative mandate to check a box and then move on to the next witness. Yeah. And there's well, been like, this he said, he said thing with David Grush back and forth between him and Sean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> David yeah. Grush flat out called he's, him a liar. Yeah. 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 I mean, and you had Sean Kirkpatrick um, went all guns blazing uh, a few months ago after David Grush mm-hmm. testified at the House Oversight Committee hearing on UAP. He went on full blast on LinkedIn. Yes. And then I believe he eventually deleted that LinkedIn post. But you you have very much a he said, she said situation where you know, you've got Senator, uh, sorry, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick saying that 
he and or his office had reached out to to Ara uh, to to Grush, mm -hmm. you know, upwards of how up, uh, at least times. half a dozen times, five yeah. times. In, and he also, uh, but he also claimed he hadn't spoken directly to David Grush in five years. Which 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 David Grush completely refutes. So you yeah, you very much got. And an easy way, an easy way to 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 confirm, you know, the old trust but verify is you've got the folks like uh, a good friend, my good friend John Greenwald Jr., who's now submitting a FOIA request to see if Aro did in fact submit yeah. calendar invitations or yeah, exactly get get well, that documentation that validates that claim. Yeah, because people like um, Robert Salas, they they received a form email, form letter in their email. Yeah, from Arrow. Yeah. That's how they. That's how they were approached. What is yeah, this silly? So. What is this fucking game? It's just such a silly, yeah. silly fucking game that they're. <laughs> it's like it, and so yeah. I, I, it. Do we are we to assume that that this the someone in Congress or maybe the senators who put their, you know, uh, names on the bill of the whistleblower bill just were like, okay, like this is a sham. What are mm. you guys? fucking doing i mean if the whistleblowers are only feel safe going to the senate armed service you know intelligence committee because they don't they're not going to this place is it you know is it sort of the old style of thinking versus the new style of thinking where it's like okay well we'll create arrow but then we'll just you know obviously we will yeah. slow walk this obviously we will do nothing we will completely just you know make it the most benign vanilla boring thing whereas there are actually interested parties now in positions of power who are willing to talk about it I, I don't know what to interpret from it, but it seems like that's some this weird back and forth going on. It, it, it's it's puzzling and it's concerning it too. And, and if you've you know, uh, so John Greenwald Jr. He he wrote a book called Inside the Black Vault, and he's done a lot of research uh, over the years. I mean, he's been doing FOIA requests for decades, and um, I, I I concur with John that it, it very much reeks of a repeat of Project Blue Book mm -hmm. uh, to a degree. I mean, if you just read the the most recent. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Uh, annual report on UAP for fiscal year 23 that came out. You read that document. If you read between the lines, it's basically um, Aro saying, uh, you know, we can explain all of these away. It's all going to end up being prosaic. There might be one or 2% of cases that are unresolved that require further investigation. And that's what we care about, the one to 2%. Just like with yeah. Project Blue Book, it was one, 2% of cases about 750 cases that were unresolved. So we don't give a stuff about what uh, becomes we, someone else's we know problem. Our balloons. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, and SEP, as Kirkpatrick framed it in April, 
we want to know about those one to two percent and you know whatever it is prosaic or exotic they're the ones that we care about well, i think that's what uh, alan uh, j alan heineck said about the condon report he said that only the only the only uh, cases that should have been in the study were the ones they couldn't resolve exactly, said all the other exactly. ones we knew from the outset they weren't you they weren't ufos yeah um yep, so. and uh History repeats itself, sadly, and I think that's yeah. what we're seeing happen now. So it's, uh, I think, um, if Kirkpatrick is out and someone new is in, hopefully uh, they will, uh, you know, have a little bit more of a willingness to, uh, you know, get to the bottom of what this is and be more transparent with the Amer- American public and the yeah. and, and the rest of the world. I well, vote uh, Dave Foley. Uh, I'm not a citizen. I'm not sure if I'm eligible. Oh God, you had yeah. to be Canadian. What's the matter but, with uh, you? But it's going to say when when this Perfect. before it became uh, Arrow back when it was the uh, incomprehensible Aimsog. Aimsog. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even then, I think it was uh, like Lou Elizondo had expressed his reservations. He said, "Well, this is being overseen by the people that caused me to retire from the military. You mm-hmm. know, there was, that these were the same people that were obstructing my 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 attempts to." you know, to get this information to my superiors. So, yeah. you know. Um, and isn't and then- it isn't it funny that when the deputy, uh, deputy secretary for defense, Kathleen Hicks, stepped in, within days, ARA's website went, uh, yes. went online. So, you know, Ronald Moultrie was clearly not getting anything done, uh, you know, for, for ARA with Sean Kirkpatrick at the helm. But now that you have Kathleen Hicks at the helm, potentially... That mm-hmm. may be uh, an encouragement, but then, I mean, if you just listen to Kathleen Hicks uh, with, um, uh, she did a, an interview with, um, used to do, who's it? Uh, John Stewart from The Daily Show, and, and he's saying that, you know, the, the U.S. Department of Defense has never passed an audit, uh, and you've got these trillions of dollars that unaccounted for. I mean, that doesn't instill a whole lot of confidence in the American taxpaying public either that, you know, Kathleen Hicks is... Uh, unable to account for uh, any of those dollars, and and she's the one uh, that signs the checks, basically for for Ara. So, I think we'll see. I guess we'll see the direction this is headed with who they bring in, right? Because if this is a sort of ally of the kind of movement or support of all of this, that you know, this could it could be a, um, you know, if it feels like someone has sort of been pulled out of some bureaucracy, um, mm-hmm. will you know who who doesn't seem like they want to be there, but. Um, I don't know. I took it this as a as a, a moment of potential optimism that they could turn it into a real thing, as opposed yeah. to this silly, you know, this silly game. Yeah. And Blue Book is such Modern a Blue Book. It, well, and Blue Book is now synonymous for a kind of fraudulent exercise, you know, meant to deceive, uh, you know, and and, debunk, and yet, yeah. you know, they continue to try to sort of play the same game. But it does feel like there's so much more. And maybe it's just the pure presence of social media and just people asking questions and people like yourself, Grant, like FOIA requests. It's there is there is this inability to be utterly opaque. I mean, obviously, there is still such a level of it that is. But maybe maybe parts of that, like enough needles in it, you know, enough light can kind of shine through. But it does. um, It will be interesting to see whether he was pushed out or whether he had planned to leave. If he is, in fact, leaving, that will be. That'd be a good moment to to Who get knows? some new energy in there. And look, I mean, there are there are, there are some questions, some serious questions that need to be asked of Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick because 
uh, it's the the likes of Ross Coulthard and and other citizen journalists that take this topic seriously. And largely, the the the, the legacy news media is not covering this topic seriously, with the uh, w- with the exception of News Nation, who I think has done a really good job to you know deliver yes. coverage on this topic. But I mean, you have these revelations that <laughs> Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick is now potentially off uh, getting a job with. Uh, oh. You know, one of the Oak Ridge Labs, which is a, an offshoot of Battelle, which is, you know, I mean, is there a huge perception of a conflict of interest there if Battelle well, maybe, is one of the... Maybe we Yeah, tell just, us maybe, what Battelle is. Yeah, what is that? Well, they're, they're, well, they're, well, you, well, you tell them. <laughs> well, well, but Battelle's one of those... So Battelle's been around for many, many decades, and it's long been rumored that whatever it was that crashed at Roswell... Uh, wreckage was uh, eventually shipped off to Battelle for uh, analysis. And there has been uh, long rumors of metamaterials that uh, have been in the possession of Battelle that it's been trying to analyze and reverse engineer. So Battelle has long been suspected as a player in the, um, the, the reverse engineering or crash retrieval uh, the the legacy program, I, su- I suppose. What is its so, uh, so what maybe. is its advertised purpose? I mean, what is it? What is it as a company? What is it? So they're um, they're a they're a huge defense contractor. I mean, I yeah. I, I think they they do a, a a lot of stuff for for defense, but um, I yeah. I don't know enough about Battelle. I mean, there is one. Uh, there are a few folks on uh, on social media that uh, have done some deep dives on on Battelle and its potential links to. Uh, you know, retrieval of uh, of debris from Roswell, but certainly there appears to be this anecdotal link between Roswell and Battelle. That's for sure. So, well, then clearly Sean Kirkpatrick is serious about getting to the bottom of this. <laughs> uh, well, so that's why he's going to. We're getting for rich off it or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, it's you know just more. It leaves more questions than answers. Yeah. It does, I'm afraid. But but to your point, Tom, you know, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it definitely sounds like it's broke. So change could be a could be a good thing for for Aro. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it'll make a huge difference. I mean, whoever they appoint, if it is somebody who's going to, you know, uh, not be obstructionist and not be, you know, clearly because Moultrie clearly their whole plan was just. They, I think they really just hope people would lose interest. I agree. I they agree. Just, if, yep. Like that, like they did their boring, dem, you know, demonstration where they couldn't even make, they couldn't even pause a video and, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, and, and it's the likes of, you know, folks, I mean, irrespective of what you think of, of, of his policies, uh, it's the likes of, um, you know, Burchett and Anna Paulina Luna. These guys are really carrying the torch and, and pushing hard to, to get some answers uh, uh, for the American public and, and, you know, promote greater transparency. And, you know, the fact that you now have a new speaker of the house, uh, who might be potentially UAP friendly. I mean, you know, who knows, is there a chance for a, a select committee on UAP to now be created for the house oversight committee? And if that happens and they get subpoena authority, then that's a whole different ball game. You know, you get the house oversight committee would get I believe Title 50 authority specifically for a select committee, and they could compel people to come and testify. And in addition to that, you've now got also this historic proposed legislation that hopefully Biden will sign off on, on the end, at the end of the year, the, the UAP Disclosure Act, 
where the president has to uh, appoint a nine-member board who is tasked with uh, disclosing all, pub all, all documentation or records on UAP that are older than 25 years, and it can only withhold information if it deems release of information to be a national security threat. So there are, mm -hmm. there are a couple of things happening that could really make 2024, I think, a really interesting, uh, interesting year. So our it will challenge. It certainly will challenge the um, kind of established government thing, like the things like that. The committee, which I agree, like it's it sounds it sounds great. Schumer's legislation is there's almost yeah. no disguising that ties, for like and they, it ties the president to it, which I think is hugely important. Yeah, I mean the committee. I mean there is a there is a strategy where you can say like we are acknowledging this is a huge important issue, and so we're going to put this incredibly august body together to study this thing and then come out with, uh, you know, like, and now that yeah. we have, like, they can, they can definitely, there's a, there's a way to still conceal, but, um, I, I think they're adopting every strategy possible because the, the dam is, is giving way a little bit. And I, I just remit, I just remain <laughs> amazed that the Grush hearings, I dropped like this bomb mm. in the middle of the culture and, you know, and then you had arrow, over here kind of like well we're really looking into you know some <laughs> stuff like there like they were right mm -hmm. there for the and and yet yeah. those those two things couldn't connect was the most absurd and and that's why people had to be like what the what the fuck are yeah. you doing over there on. i mean well, you had, well patrick actually saying he's insulting the department of defense <laughs> like, it's in that part he's of, hurting you know, their what, feelings it's an important story for your whole thing to exist that grush just said like uh, you know, and they mm. just like, I don't know. I didn't think to ask for the address of where the UFO was. I just, it just didn't, you know, when I was thinking about that, I'm like, yeah. there's some, you know, he, he said to let, or somebody come forward because nobody has either put him and it would seem like the Grush forces would, are, are, would win this round if, if Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick is on the outs. And if it is, if there is truth to the fact that whistleblowers like, I'm not going to talk to that guy. Mm. Um, that lends more credence to Grush that he is believed by important folks because otherwise um, you would think that, uh, you know, Arrow would be kind of winning the PR battle on that front, but it doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be the opposite. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I mean, you know, there's, I think there's a, there's a lot of um, semantics and games being played as well. I mean, you have Kirsten Gillibrand who's saying she hasn't yet met with Grush because she wasn't prepared to pay for Grush's lodgings to to, to Washington to to have a, a sit down with him, and you you see how quickly people on social media say, "Jesus, I'll create a GoFundMe page and get Grush to Washington if that's the problem." But <laughs> yeah, I, I'm surprised that mm -hmm. you know Kirsten Gillibrand didn't try and coordinate with David Grush's appearance at the house oversight committee for some time to be set aside to sit down with him she and did seem to be trying to take find an exit mm, from yeah. the issue even she though, took even her foot off the gas for sure i mean yeah, really she, yeah. yeah and she was trying so, to sort of say oh yeah i did write this legislation but it wasn't really about ufos kind of she was mm, sort of presenting yeah. that that face to the world which um, Maybe, and, and that could be i don't i don't know if it would be a political i don't know if the political i don't know if it would be a political um albatross if she was a proponent of this issue i think people i don't, in other words i don't think if someone was like she's the ufo senator would be i so i to me i took it as like oh well she bought the argument from someone in the you know deep background who said 
best we not best we not pursue <laughs> this hard or yeah. go this hard at it and and she's seems to because she doesn't she hasn't disowned it she's no. just starting to talk in that word salad way with, yeah. with those kind of weak excuses and weak tea yeah. that you're suggesting, Grant, of like, oh, yeah, she, we just didn't get his best Western bill sorted. Yeah, I mean, she went hard initially. You know, she was really the champion, and now she's kind of uh, she's kind of backed off a bit. So It, it, it did seem like she got gun-shy mm, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, if you yeah. read about, like, Tom DeLonge's, he had some, there was some monologue I was reading about him, uh, his 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 whole take on it, which I mean, it is it's it's a it's a grim diagnosis of the whole phenomenon. So I perhaps uh, there's you know, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of you know maybe you don't want to rush that out into uh, the the public sphere immediately. It's yeah. you know best left unsolved. Yeah. Unsaid. Well, I had actually a question I had for you guys, being in you know the in the industry in in Hollywood. Uh, it was only yesterday that there was the formal uh, launch of the Hollywood Disclosure Alliance. Did you guys, oh, can, did you hear about that? Nobody told yeah, me about I, this, Dave, and I would expect I you to be my I was, conduit to I this was asked shit. To, I was asked to be on the board. Uh, right. And I forgot okay, about interesting. it. Oh, I forgot <laughs> about it. I forgot to say, they, I said, sure, and then they asked for a bio and a photo, and I never got around to it. Uh, yeah. Chrissy, isn't so, there something we could have done about that? I mean, isn't couldn't we have intercepted this somehow, that probably Dave on the board? It if we wanted to. Yeah. And now Grant's asking I mean, you've about got, it. There's an interesting mix of folks that are associated with that. I mean, obviously it's, a, it's an initiative that's being spearheaded by uh, Steve Bassett, Stephen Bassett, who we know has uh, yeah. long been an activist uh, on, on this topic. But yeah. you've got some, you know, Thomas Bryce Jane. Abel uh, is, there? Bryce Abel. Um, is he on Tom, there? Tom Jane is a, a, a Hollywood member. So you got you got a pretty interesting cross-section of folks that are in um, – in the industry that are in Hollywood that are a part yeah. of this alliance. And their, I think their Paul mission Heine, is I think to Paul serve Heine's as a... involved with it as well. Yeah. Yep. He's, yeah, uh, yeah. he's part yeah. of it. He's one of the that, people who uh, reached out to me about it and I forgot. Yeah. I, I mean, I read on their, their website that their Dave. mission is to really be uh, what they content connectors so that they can unify, uh, you know, the uh, address the truth embargo and get Hollywood uh, yeah. starting to report more factual information in their content. <laughs> yes, tell better stories about better stories. About but I mean, yeah. who, who does everyone does anyone really know the facts on the whole you know, ET UAP thing? I mean, I, I think there's uh, there's still a lot like no. I think LA is like Washington in a way where you're going to find people that are really interested and sympathetic to the issue and people that still maintain a real kind of, you know, kind of skepticism and like, don't touch it. And, you know, be like, oh, do we want to? I I think there is an awareness, and that's mm -hmm. why you know Los Angeles and Hollywood, you know, they're gonna they're gonna go toward the audience, and I think the audience is very interested, and I think yeah. there is a demand for content and story. Whether that's gonna be, and and maybe an organization like this will be will be helpful and fruitful in making sure that that's sort of accurate and not kind of hyperbolic or or unreliable or turn it into you know. Sasquatch or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think there's Most I think there's California. a demand. There's a demand <laughs> that they'll acknowledge. And yet I think at certain levels it's still, you know, people want to talk about it privately and are super interested and like kind of want to get the scoop. But I don't think people are still willing to quite be out there. Yeah. Um about hey, it. I would I would love to have seen Kurt Russell get on the uh, on the board or I mean Hell you yeah. know, we know who, yeah. we know who's come out publicly and and so, I mean, I actually did the the second video that I did on my my channel. 
was a deep dive of Kurt Russell's uh, encounter with the Phoenix Lights because I'm a huge Kurt Russell fan, have been ever since I was a young I've, fellow. I've worked with Kurt. You have, right. Yeah, what we did the, a movie uh, called Sky High together. Oh, of movie course, that's High. right. Yes, yeah. yes. I played his, yeah. his sidekick. Oh, yeah, right, right. And um, How was Kurt? Did, Tell us the truth, Dave. Was he... Was he nice, he Kurt? Was, fantastic. Was, was he good to you? Oh, good. Oh, I, I loved him. He was fantastic. He was Always very, good to uh, you know, I mean, obviously, obviously, Kurt and I don't agree on politics, but he was really fun to be around. And, yeah. uh, you know, and. Uh, I, I've heard know. that about them, that he's a very grounded bloke and he, he yeah. loves to, he loves to have a laugh. He doesn't take himself too seriously. And, and actually what was interesting was um, I was actually able to, uh, uncover some new information. I don't know if you've seen the episode I did, but I was able to uncover some new information that had never been reported previously on on Kurt Russell's encounter with with oh, the no, Phoenix Lights. Oh no! What was that? So, well, I'll give you a, a, a spoiler uh, alert for those that are and we will back. guide people to your podcast. Uh, yes. So, so thirteenth um, of March, obviously nineteen ninety seven. Uh, Kurt Russell, we know from his interview on the BBC The One Show in in 2017 when he was pre- promoting Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, uh, he admitted to the world that he was the general aviation pilot that reported to traffic control uh, the Phoenix Lights as he was on approach with his son, uh, Oliver Hudson. And in that interview on the BBC's The One Show, he quoted the tail sign of the aircraft that he was flying to Phoenix, to Phoenix, which was to Tango Sierra. And when I um, watched that interview only last year, because I saw Dr. Lynn Kitai, who's done a lot of research on Phoenix lights, she appeared on uh, on Inside the Black Black Vault with John Greenwald, and that kind of sparked my interest in um, uh, revisiting Kurt's account. But when I heard Kurt say those those three words, two Tango Sierra, the tail sign. I remember I had heard that before and being a diehard Kurt Russell fan, I consulted the Oracle, went through my my DVD collection of Kurt Russell films. And have you both seen Executive Decision, 1996? Uh, yeah, I did? think I probably did. Yes, maybe not several times, but I think I saw it at least once. Yes. So if you if you remember back to the opening scene with Kurt Russell's character, David Grant, in that film where he's he's learning to uh, become a pilot, he's piloting a single propeller, you know, light aircraft, he's doing his, his flying lessons, and he's flying, uh, he's on approach to, to land in this you know, this uh, single uh, propeller, propeller plane. And he quotes the words in the film uh, to Tango Sierra. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that the aircraft that he flew in executive decision was the very same plane that he <laughs> flew to Phoenix on the 13th of March, 1907. And to keep the synchronicity train going, the actor that is in that scene with Kurt Russell that plays his flight instructor, his name is John Rixie Moore. He's good friends with Kurt Russell, and he actually also has had his own sightings and is very well-versed on the UFO topic, but that's actually his aircraft. He owned that aircraft. And so I was able to track down John Rixie Moore and get him in my, on my channel and have an interview with him, and we talked about that plane, and he shared details of you know, what it's like from the interior, the perspective looking out from the, uh, you know, over the, over the dashboard mm-hmm. and so on. So it was just a, obviously didn't reveal any information about what the Phoenix lights was or weren't, but I just found it another piece of the puzzle that had not yeah. been. Um, did, you find out how much, how much, did you find out how much he charged production for the use of the plane? <laughs> I, I, I think he stole the plane. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I think I've heard about do. outfits and costumes. I haven't heard that someone took off with an entire plane. Well, so so Kurt actually asked um, John Rixey Moore to, uh, to to be in the film. So I think he did it as a, a pro bono, uh, as a freebie. Uh, to to get a nice little um, yeah, co-starring role, little but, little yeah. role in the film. Well, another interesting thing about Kurt's thing was that, like many people who have a, an experience with a UFO, he and his son saw it, and then they never spoke about, about it. it. Yeah, for I years they said they didn't talk about it for years, and he didn't think about it until he saw Goldie Hawn was watching a documentary yeah. about UFOs, and they talked about the Phoenix Lights. And they were and he checked his log his... books and yeah, and he was able was to, to verify. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What did, and and what what did he did he see any in, in relation to what they were seeing on the ground? Was he was there any more detail or specification about or did they see it was a it was the the triangle right? I mean, it was a giant. Yeah. It was a bank of six lights uh, running back over the airport. So Oliver said to uh, Kurt, "You know, hey, Pa, what are those?" and you know, looking at the six lights and, and Kurt said he didn't know. So he called into air traffic control and said, you know, what are you guys painting tonight over the, over the, over the airport? And they said they weren't seeing anything. And they said, well, what are you seeing? And Kurt said, I'm seeing six lights running back over the airport and thinking this could potentially be uh, a safety of flight issue if he's coming into land. And, um, and he's never really gone beyond what he stated in his interview on the BBC's The One Show in, in 2017. And then he was on Jimmy Kimmel the following year where he talked about it again. So uh, I reached out to, 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 to Kurt um, and all through, through his sister, Jamie Way, who, who uh, runs Kurt's boutique uh, winery business, uh, Gogi. He has his own boutique wine. And, um, yeah, Kurt, unfortunately, doesn't want to um, – he he's done, not doing a lot of interviews these days and apparently not talking uh, – talking about his uh his his sighting so if you're still chums with kurt dave um i haven't seen him in a long time but you still have yeah, the spandex try and quiz him the... on the on his uh on his sighting because i think, I think it'd be I, i'll try to, try fasc- to get fascinating him, yeah. to, to learn more about his uh his his, his encounter yeah the um speaking of of lights one of the other um stories that sort of broke this week was that there was this apparently um as confirmed from three sources to Ross Coulthard and then in, including Chris Mellon, who the um, former undersecretary of defense um, for intelligence, I think it was mm-hmm. anyway. Um, there was a, uh, it was reported that there was eight UAPs in the Arctic circle that jets were scrambled to intercept Oh, I didn't um, hear about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. I mean, it's a. It, it, did you hear anything about that grant? I mean, it's. It sounded like yes. it happened pretty fairly recently. So I, I had known that Ross was working on uh, that story and doing some investigative journalism on it. Uh, I didn't know the extent of his reporting until it came out on News Nation. But yeah, pretty pretty fascinating revelation that you had reports of NORAD scrambling fighter jets, which it which it denies. Uh, but Ross has heard that from a number of sources that there were up to eight UAP detected uh, in the Arctic Circle in the days leading up to the shootdown of the Chinese spy balloon. Got so, it. That's what I. Uh, this, so this was sort of related uh, to the Alaska right, shootdown, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you had well, you obviously the Chinese I get my spy Arctic and Antarctic confused. And, well, in your and your show, Ross also mentioned that one of the objects that was supposedly shot down, uh, the one over uh, the Yukon. Uh, that Ross Goldthart was was reporting that uh, 
the pilot said they the missile hit the object, but the object was not damaged and just went kept on going. Well, so that was the Dead Horse Alaska one. So that's the yeah. one that's the the has the lot of uh, questions about it still. So uh, you know you you have the uh, the 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 Pentagon saying coming out and saying that the U.S. Air Force fired on this uh, unidentified aerial object, uh, you know, observe, that it encountered uh, in Dead Horse, Alaska, and that you had uh, obviously in the days um, after that event, um, you know, uh, Kirby, I can't remember his name, full name, but John, he comes, yeah. John Kirby, he, he, national security, you know, uh, national yeah, sec- yeah he, he's uh, at the, the podium is at the, and, and telling the world that, they believe it will be um, an, a, a straightforward effort to retrieve debris because that they believe it was frozen ice, frozen water that the debris fell down. But there has been uh, no evidence presented to date to suggest that anything was retrieved. In fact, the Pentagon has said that it wasn't able to retrieve anything of that Alaska shoot down. And Ross is saying that uh, attempts to to bring it down were unsuccessful, that they did fire a missile at it and something was ejected from the object or was dislodged from the object, was uh, broken off and and did fall. But then they weren't able to, uh, then the object just, you know, um, you know it didn't necessarily disappear, but uh, could it not kept, be intercepted. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it could not be intercepted. So it's it's you know the and, and what's frustrating what's so frustrating about the um, those three unidentified aerial objects that were shot down in February is that the Pentagon will be very quick to release you know, uh, U2 footage from the cockpit of the Chinese spy balloon and it will release footage oh, that's taken yeah. by yeah. You know, MQ9 oh. Reaper drones of yeah. the Russian fighters dousing yep. the you know, dousing the drones and now this Chinese fighter jet that was only 10 feet away from the US asset that's getting filmed they'll happily re- release that footage and that flare footage but they have not released any footage to date pertaining to the shoot down of those three unidentified aerial objects. So the White House is certainly not staying true to uh, its promise of being transparent with the American public. And that's what Biden said at the podium in February. So it's, you know, there's, it doesn't instill a lot of confidence in the White House and the Pentagon that they'll happily release uh, footage that supports their strategic narrative but they're mm-hmm. not going to release footage pertaining to UAP. See, yes. it's so funny because CNN and I, and you know, and it's interesting now that there's this story about these eight UAP in the, in the kind of, in the, in the run up to that, that, uh, but, and apparently they, the jets were scrambled. They could not sort of intercept or mm-hmm. engage. These things went away. NORAD says uh, that they did not go to intercept this stuff, but there were jets there on a training mission. Um, so they're, so they're acknowledging that the planes were there in case some radar somewhere can show them there. They're like, Oh no, it was, it's all training. But I, um, the, yeah, the I thing about the, the shoot downs yeah. was CNN that day was breathlessly talking. Uh, they had quotes from the pilots straight away, which mm-hmm. was sort of odd. And they were 
very much using the language, the UAP language. They were saying these things had no propulsion. They had no visible means of propulsion. They had no, you know, there was uh, there was no uh, airstream. I mean, I remember the, the the weekend anchor was was almost talking from the UAP thesaurus um, in terms of like what you would sort of look for, which is no visible, no vapor trail, no. Yep. Um, and yeah, I have said the same thing repeatedly. You've, uh, supposedly this electronics and you know photographic science is so classified you can never show it from the jet unless you want to just push your news story that day in which case fine totally declassified doesn't matter at all you know exactly what cameras that all ufos are just weather balloons weather balloons you know yeah and uh, and what's what's so frustrating and this this is how it ties back to australia so in february of of this year um at the senate estimates hearing which is kind of like a budget oversight hearing in australia so Senator Wish Wilson was asking the current Chief of Air Force, Air Marshal Robert Shipman, uh, about specifically about the the shoot down events uh, in the United States and basically RAF's thoughts on that. Um, and the the Air Marshal uh, admitted that the Royal Australian Air Force um, had sought information and a briefing from the United States via the uh, Air Attaché in Washington D.C. Uh, on all four of those events, the Chinese spy balloon and the unidentified aerial objects. And the question that's the follow-up question that Senator Wish Wilson had is, well, why did you seek that additional information? And the response that came back from the air marshal was, we wanted to identify the source of the objects, their origin, and uh, we wanted to see what learnings we could gain from the US's response to those incidents. Because the US Department of Defense has told us that and President Biden has told us that those objects were shot down or brought down or they were ordered to have them shot down because they represented a clear and present safety of flight risk. And in the case of the Chinese spy balloon, a potential national security threat, you know, surveillance. So uh, the, the Royal Australian Air Force will happily seek information and a briefing from the United States on those objects because it represented a national security threat and a safety of flight risk but it will not touch the UAP topic and seek a briefing from the US Department of Defense, even though UAP represent exactly the same threat, safety of flight risk and national security threat. And so there's this double standard being played in this hypocrisy in the, uh, in the Australian Department of Defense at the moment. It's, it's playing these games uh, you know, and, and is, is just not acknowledging that UAP is an issue, which is so frustrating. It is frustrating indeed, but that apparently the Department of Defense said that the uh, that they will release some information about these shootdowns, and it will be and interesting I, to I see read. what that information is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So whether that is uh, because apparently those cases did go to ARO, I believe, and and has ARO um, investigated those incidents and is in a position to now have information released about it so it'll, it'll it'll certainly be interesting as to what imagery and data uh you know the the us is able to release on those shoot down events now uh, and it's I've, long overdue i mean that happened back yeah. in february we're oh now in God, november yeah. you know have, have do you feel like there's this subject is gaining more traction with the public in australia I mean, obviously, the government isn't doing anything for it, but is is the is there a spillover from what's going on in the U.S. in Australia? I think so. I think more people um, are starting to take the topic seriously. What doesn't help in Australia is that the 
the legacy news media in Australia is very slow to pick up the, uh, you know, take the baton. They're, they're still, they'll report on what happens in the US, but they'll always play the bloody X-Files theme during every segment and they still yeah, take no. the piss out of the topic. And, and I think it's still the case in probably reporting the US. So I've been long pushing for the Australian news media to, to start taking the topic seriously and ask the questions that I'm being asking because I'm just one dude that has a couple of hundred followers on his on his channel, whereas the news media, particularly these breakfast shows, Sunrise in particular is one I always call out, they'll often have the uh, the prime minister uh, or the deputy prime minister who's also the minister Def for, for defence, Richard Miles, on their show in the morning, pressing them on important topics that you know they feel Australians should care about. Uh, mm -hmm. So the Australian news media has really dropped the ball in covering this topic uh, in, a, in a serious manner. Um, mm. But there is a changing of the tide because um, I had submitted to the Australian House of Representatives in June of this year um, a petition for the House of Representatives to um, consider conducting a formal review of Australia's position on UAP and uh, implement an investigatory body on UAP to uh, to assess the potential national security threats and safety of flight risk that UAP pose, because there's a clear domain awareness gap if Australia's not taking this topic seriously. So that petition, it secured 759 signatures, which I was really um, quite nice. uh, amazed at. I was expecting only a few folks to sign off on it. That's currently sitting with the Minister for Defence to provide a written response uh, to that petition. So a journalist had seen that an Australian journalist had seen that petition and reached out to me because uh, he was able to track down my details as the author of the petition. Uh, and he wanted to run a news story on the Australian Department of Defence's um, uh, challenge, their complete lack of interest and inaction on the UAP topic, namely the fact that Australia did not attend the, uh, you know, the Department of Defence Australia was just, was saying that Australia did not attend the Five Eyes Forum on UAP. So I um, provided some background information to that journalist, and I recommended that that journalist reach out to Ross Coulthard, which he did. So Ross Coulthard and I um, are, are quoted significantly throughout this article that came out only a few, uh, only about a week and a half ago, in the Canberra Times, which is Canberra's. Uh, in the Australian Capital Territory in Australia. That's where our government is. So it was a double spread in this Canberra Times newspaper, which a lot of people in government would have read, and it really challenges the Australian Department of Defence's complete inaction on the topic and the fact that defence personnel have actually been taking the piss out of the topic. They've been treating it like a joke. So that was, uh, for me, an interesting turning point because I think more and more uh, outlet media outlets are going to start to take a serious tone on this topic and ask these sorts of questions. Well, our Five Eyes ally is taking this topic incredibly seriously. New Zealand was represented at this Five Eyes forum. Canada was. The UK is not saying anything at all, but there was a really good article in the debrief just yesterday, I believe, on UK's inaction on the UAP topic. Uh, and I think there'll be more and more media outlets. In fact, I know there will be more media outlets that cover the UAP topic uh, and do it from a serious tone rather than taking the piss and claiming that it's all science fiction. Yeah, well, I know I've been watching uh, Jeremy Corbell has been doing a lot of interviews with Australian outlets over the last year. Yeah. And I've, and I've noticed that that gradually, when, like especially with, with outlets that he's done more than one interview, sometimes he's done three or four interviews with them. 
that they stop playing the X-Files series yes. eventually. <laughs> I think I think Jeremy has shamed them into not playing it anymore. Good. Yeah. And uh you know and they stop giggling uh when they introduce him. So Yeah, I I, yeah. I agree and I think NBC has done a pretty good Gotti, job of Gotti starting Schwartz, Well, Gotti yep. Schwartz is doing it, but he can only but he can only they're only letting him do limited reporting apparently over at NBC now and msnbc is not and nbc proper the network they have a a blackout pretty much uh that's funny i mean i i don't yeah and i'm not sure which outlets and i was probably watching through x or twitter or whatever we want to call it now but the you know i think grant i i think that's you know i think that's significant i think it's i think it's about kind of shaming some of this sort of tired old um playbook and uh and i think as you know you pursue that and it's sort of, you know, citizen researchers and journalists and, and, you know, activists continue to kind of push. I think it's beginning to shift the trend because I do like the, the reports now you're seeing less and less of that in the States. Now it's not like they're covering it every night, uh, as, uh, you know, the, the top headlines, but it's, yeah. you don't, you don't quite get that. Uh, some of this is to Ross Coltart's credit. You know, I think he's been, he's had some great, uh, he's broken some really interesting stories that have that have that are hard to refute. You know, I 100%. mean, Grush yeah. has tried to sort of slander him, but they haven't been able to really. I think that was really unsuccessful that effort um, to uh, to kind of just cast him off as uh, yeah. out of his mind because he had PTSD. We, Dave and I, I, a lot of people just you know we we all reacted very like virulently to that. It, 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 you know, it's disgraceful. Yeah, it's repugnant in so many ways. Yeah, just yeah. disgraceful, and um, and a sign that they had no, they had no nothing on them. Really, yeah. it's just it's kind of a sad spectacle. But I applaud your um, efforts to continue to sort of break oh, I through. Appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, well, look, I, I give I give a, a, yeah. a hell of a lot of credit to to Jeremy and Ross as well because they've obviously got you know folks. Uh, that uh, defense personnel in the military that are feeling comfortable to come forward with their information to Jeremy and Ross, and they're entrusting them with that information. And and you're, to Jeremy and Ross's credit, they understand the golden rule of investigative journalism. You don't reveal the identity of a source, or you don't reveal information that could potentially jeopardize the safety, well-being, or security of a source, or reveal information that's going to uh, you know, uh, potentially harm national security. And one of the things that Ross has said, this is going back um, as only recently as uh, when it, when I had him on my my podcast in August, he he's he's saying that you know, there are defense personnel that are coming to him uh, concerned and sharing with him you know, uh, details of their sighting of something anomalous in Australian airspace that they're concerned about, but they're not feeling comfortable or confident to report to their superiors out of fear of reprisals or being ostracized or that their report uh, be not taken seriously and then potentially having a blemish on their flight record. And that in itself is the potential national security threat. If folks aren't prepared to come forward uh, with you know, their account of what they're seeing that they're not able to reconcile in the skies. Because if it is foreign adversarial, that's a huge, that's another big problem we've got. And so folks, uh, pilots and aviators aren't reporting that because there's a fear of reprisal and stigma that's attached to it. And the fact that Australia has no reporting mechanisms in place, 
So if you submit a report, what happens to it? It doesn't go anywhere. Uh, the official line of the Royal Australian Air Force is if you see, if you're a member of the public or the military and you see a UAP, call the cops. That's, that's their recommendation. Mm-hmm. Call the cops or reach out to your civilian UFO organization like MUFON or some of the others that are out there. So, so that's why there's another big element that's a concern as well. Yeah. In Canada, you're told just to go down to your local Tim Hortons. <laughs> Well, a, and what's so? What's Tim Hortons? What's what's? It's a donut shop. It's oh, a donut yeah. shop. Yeah, <laughs> right. Just go to Timmy's. Go to it's Timmy's. Tell, tell the cashier. Tell Dunk the cashier. Dunk the donut, the coffee, and away you go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Well, uh, listen. So, uh, this is a great conversation to continue, and um, we hope we can, uh, you know, have you back and catch up yeah. on what is, you know, how progress is going um, in Australia yeah. on this issue. Because sounds like you're starting to dent some doors a little bit, and that's great. Um, and I, I think I've uh, I've become a thorn in yes. the side of the Royal Australian Air Force with all the uh, the FOIA requests that I've done. Annoy but, them. That's great. Yeah. But look, I, I really appreciate it. I'd love to come back on. I, I appreciate you giving me some time with you guys and sharing some uh, some insights and Australian perspectives with your uh, with the audience. So it's been um, it's been a lot of fun. It's well, been it's awesome. Good, it's good to hear what's going on in other parts of the Commonwealth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Even if it's very little. You know. yeah. Well, I'm sure it's a lot and it's just a, like, but you know, but the, the upfront is they're kind of sticking by that old school approach, which is just intimidate and make them fear for their jobs and do yeah. all that kind of stuff. But hopefully that and, will and change. Look, and, and I think too, one of the things I've been pushing for is, um, you know, strength in numbers. Like uh, I'm just one guy. So a lot of people that uh, follow me on social media or, or watch the podcast that I do, um, I encourage them if, if you are really, um, you know, concerned that Australia is not taking this topic seriously uh, and the topic is important to you, uh, write, email, call, tweet your member of parliament or Australian senator or get in touch with the legacy media and, and let them know that this is an important topic that Australia should take seriously uh, because the more and more, you know, everyday advocates for this topic like myself that can push for greater transparency and scrutiny uh, I think only uh, helps potentially move the ball along for for Australia. So and that's here. the goal anyway. So yeah, and here, I mean, I think it, it's totally worth reminding listeners and viewers to, you know, that 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 does make a difference. Like, leave a message, talk to somebody in the staff room. There are a lot of sympathetic ears to this issue. Like in California, Adam Schiff, who's running for Senate and, you know, the, the yeah. open seat now, you know, with Dianne Feinstein passing away, you know, there's... But um, he's pretty good on this. There are uh, ways to get heard and and make sure that they're still pushing. And I think it's good. That's that's a good reminder for everyone, wherever you are, uh, if you're interested in this, to stay stay loud about it. Um, yep. uh, awesome. Well, great to meet you, sir. Enjoy. Likewise, your, we'll keep, thank we'll you keep for your listening. Time. And yeah, thanks a lot, Grant. We'll keep apprised yeah. of all of this, and uh, and we will we'll, we'll try to find an excuse to come to Australia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Can we and, figure uh, that out? I'm. That's <laughs> yeah. good. Let's do that. Let's figure and, that and out. Keep me posted if you uh, if you get in touch with Kurt again, Dave. I'd, I'd love to. I, know I will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, will. I want to know about that too. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much. Very Greg. good. Thanks, guys. Have a great okay. weekend. All right. Bye. Cheers. Bye.